There is no secret formula for better customer service. But there is the all-new service hub from HubSpot, bringing service and support together in one powerful platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with an AI-powered help desk. Also, you can easily support and grow your customer base. Secrets out, everybody. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. What's up, everyone? Zachary Crockett here with Juliet Bennett-Ryla and Jacob Cohen. This is the Hustle Daily Show. Today, we've got something special for you. We're recording this episode live from Boston. What the hell are we doing here? We're here for Inbound, HubSpot's big annual marketing conference. We've got marketers from all over the world in the crowd, and we just hit the stage and the guy in the back is giving us the final countdown, so let's get into it. All right, how's everyone doing? Welcome to Inbound. Thank you for uh, joining our humble stage over here. We are the Hustle Daily Show. Uh, can I just get a quick show of hands? How many people are familiar with our podcast? Oh, <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. Look at that. All right, that's good. Just for the record, anyone listening to this tomorrow who can't see, like 20,000 people just raised their hands. It was unbelievable. <laughs> All right, I'm Zachary Crockett. Uh, I'm here with Juliet Bennett-Ryla and Jacob Cohen. Uh, we host the Hustle Daily Show. They also write the Hustle newsletter, which you've probably read, that this podcast is based on. You better read it. <laughs> um, and... Um, for anyone who isn't familiar with our podcast, The Hustle started out as a daily tech and business newsletter. In 2020, we became a part of the HubSpot family. And uh, earlier this year, we basically launched this podcast as an audio version of our newsletter. And the other thing we should note here is our show is very off the cuff and uh, kind of improvisational. So a lot of the other talks you'll see today, people prepared for maybe weeks uh, to discuss intricate topics. We just chose our stories this morning, and uh, <laughs> it's very much like last minute just because of the nature of the news cycle. We thought we were going to have four people until like 9 a.m. this morning. So, right. You know. Yeah, we, uh, we lost a host. <laughs> yeah, you're working with us here. So. But uh, anyway, today we're going to talk through three business and tech news stories that we have our eye on. We picked them last night. Jacob's going to break down Apple's big advertising push for us. Juliet's going to talk about uh, this crazy mall in New Jersey that has had quite a saga over the last 20 years and is now experiencing something of a resurrection thanks to a YouTube star. And I'll close this off by talking through a crazy little business about hotel soap. Before we get into that, just a quick couple things going on in the news today. The average 30-year mortgage rate is back up to 6.25%. Not great news. Homes are also at an all-time high of 525K. That's double what it was back in the 80s when interest rates were 18%. Bitcoin fell to its lowest price in two months. It's now below 19K. That's down from 67,000 last November. Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos is reportedly seeking a new trial. She was found guilty of four counts of fraud earlier this year, and now her lawyers are trying to claim that one of the prosecution's key witnesses regretted his decision to testify. And uh, lastly, Herb Kohler, the third generation president of the Sync Company that we're all familiar with, passed away on Tuesday. Under his leadership, the company increased the revenue from 133 million to 6 billion. So he had a nice little ride there. Gotta love a heartwarming family he about good generational wealth. Yeah, it makes a good sink. <laughs> all right, Jacob, uh, let's get into Apple ads here. What do you yes. got your eye on today? Well, first of all, I don't think I've spoken to this many people in person since my bar mitzvah. So, <laughs> uh, you know, feeling the jitters a little bit, but uh, that went well. So I think this will go well, too. And yeah, I want to speak about Apple and it's pushing to advertising, which I really think uh, about a decade from now will be, you know, the folks down the street at Harvard Business School are going to be looking at it as like one of the most clever strategic business moves of the decade. 
And just for some context, uh, a bunch of reports came out this week. They've been coming out for months, but picked up the pace this week about Apple's push into advertising, building out its ad platform. For even broader context, a report came out this week that iPhones have now surpassed Android in terms of use and popularity in the United States, over 50%. But in terms of Apple's ad platform specifically, reports came out this week that Apple plans to double the size of its advertising team and that growth and adoption of Apple search ads, which are the ads that you see in the App Store, is increasing uh, and spend there is increasing too. You don't really think of Apple as an ad business. I don't think anyone really does. But one thing that I was shocked by that you told me this morning was that Apple actually did make something of a little push into advertising in yes. around 2010. Apple, people do not think of Apple as an advertising business because it's not really yet. Some people might even say Apple's anti-ads. That is very far from the truth. Apple has long been very pro-advertising. In 2010, Steve Jobs gave a keynote introducing a product called iAd that many people probably haven't heard of because it shut down in like 2015 or something. But that's kind of like the early stages of what we're seeing now. But they've been extremely patient and worked in extremely clever ways to do what we're seeing them do now. So for context, around 1% of Apple's revenue now, $4 to $5 billion, comes from these ads, uh, mostly within the App Store. But when you think about the platform that Apple has from an advertising angle, all the apps it has in-house between the App Store, Maps, Apple Music, podcasts, Apple TV, stocks, the weather app, which is frequently incorrect, by the way. It's like an advertiser's Garden of Eden. And so it's extremely powerful. And analysts expect this to go from a 4 to $5 billion business nowadays to a $30 billion business by 2026. And uh, when you look at like how they're going to do that, I mean, they're going to do that utilizing this array of in-house ads they have that millions and millions and millions of people use. But there's kind of like a Machiavellian plot line to this too, which is that they're positioning this as in kind of a a pro-privacy move to vanquish their competitors, right? Yes. App tracking transparency, ATT, which Apple introduced relatively recently, a year or two ago, uh, which a lot of people in this room are probably very familiar with and have had many big headaches over, is uh, not just a good move for privacy, but it's one of the most strategic marketing plays in Apple's history. A lot of people in this room, probably most people sitting here right now have an iPhone in their pocket. Probably many of you have opened an app over the last year, seen a little pop-up says, would you like this app to track you? It's a rhetorical question. Of course, you don't want the app to track you. And every time you do that, it's a reminder from Apple that they want you to know that they focus on your privacy. But it's also been a humongous headache for uh, Facebook and others in the mobile advertising industry. Facebook said that it's going to lose out on $10 billion in revenue because of it. But more than that, Apple has used this so cleverly. They know also that Facebook in 10 years is focused on the metaverse, virtual reality, alternate reality. And by doing this, they're cutting off the fuel pipe for Mark Zuckerberg to fund those efforts while Apple is also working on its own AR and VR products. So it's just one of the most clever, strategic, puppeteering moves that we're seeing play out in big tech. Clever or insidious. Or insidious. Depending on (laughs) what side you're on. Yes, yes. Has anyone kind of argued that there are antitrust issues here with Apple? I mean, everyone always argues antitrust with Apple. Right. But with this latest move, now they're getting their tentacles into another giant industry. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what they'll say right now, listen, today, only 1% of their business is advertising. Even if they get a $30 billion advertising business together by 2026, it's still much smaller than Facebook's business and Google's business. And right. that's a pretty good argument for the antitrust overlords. So they envision themselves growing this to a $30 billion business. By 2026. By 2026. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. We'll see so, what happens. So what should we be prepared for to see in the yes. Apple advertising universe. I think you're going to start to see ads very soon in Apple Maps and probably in what's it called? Apple Books. Podcasts. Uh, podcasts. Like and what, are, are they just going to be like all white? Like <laughs> what, the, what the hell is an Apple ad? I, don't, like? I mean, if you go in the app store today, you, you just look up an app. We did it before. The, right, first, right. the first result was an ad, I think. And they do a pretty good job making it feel not like in your face too much. But sure. you're going to see when you go on Google Maps and in ways like you look up coffee, Dunkin' Donuts is the first thing that comes up. And right. it's not an accident, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, to play the cynic, like can ads ever be beautiful or, or integrated in a way that is not intrusive? You're talking about Apple. I think they think <laughs> about advertising as an art form. Right. Um, you know, but yeah, ads on the phone are different from a Super Bowl commercial. Right, um, right, right. So we'll see. Sure. All right. Well, for something completely different, Juliet, you have your eye on a mall in New Jersey with a very interesting name. Malls have had a rough ride in the last decade in the U.S., but this mall in particular has had an excruciating journey. Yeah, this mall, the problem is it's basically cursed. It's called the American Dream, and it's a decades-long saga. So it starts in the 90s. The Mills Corporation, they're a defunct real estate investment company. They want to build this mega mall in a marsh, but environmentalists are like, no, absolutely not. But then the New Jersey Sports and Exposition Authority is actually seeking proposals for a complex near this arena that is now vacant, but wasn't at the time. And the Mills Corporation, they were like, yes, we have exactly what you need. And it is called the Meadowlands Xanadu. It's where the Giants play. <laughs> yeah. man, right next door. A mega mall, a massive mega mall with literally everything you could imagine in it. So they get started in about 2004, but oh, they didn't actually have enough money to build it. So they sold it to Colony Capital and things were looking good. But then the recession hit and it turns out one of the major construction lenders was a subsidiary of the Lehman Brothers. So obviously they went bankrupt. Oh, now the mall is just a mall husk for several more years. And then in 2011 come Triple Five. Now, if anyone can build a mega mall, it's Triple Five. They operate the Mall of America. That is the nation's biggest mall. This is the nation's second biggest mall. That was actually not the end of their troubles. If I was to go through every single thing that made this get delayed, it would take several months, probably. The Mets and the Giants at one point sued them over an expansion because they were concerned about traffic. And the traffic there is really bad. Yeah, and parking <laughs> at their venue. Uh, so that delayed it. But finally, finally, they opened this mall in October 2019 which would have been great, except a few months later, the pandemic hits, they have to close them all. Fantastic. Time. So they borrowed. Um, so, you know, it's had a really uh, tough time, even though it is open now. And it has a lot in it. It has two theme parks, one's Nickelodeon, one's DreamWorks. It's got an indoor ski slope, which did catch on fire and was closed for a while. That's because ironic. like I said, the mall is cursed. <laughs> It's got an aquarium. It has space for like 450 retail stores. It's in financial trouble still. It reported a loss of $60 million last year, and they have been missing some of their state-backed bond interest payments. So it's not on very stable ground, but it is called the American Dream. Perhaps it is a metaphor for the American Dream. There's a lot of hurdles yeah. on your way. I don't know. Nothing says American Dream like getting stuck in a mire of uh, financial ruin and bankruptcy <laughs> courts. Yes. Yeah. By the way, if anyone keeps kosher, there's a kosher food court in this mall. The That's only great. one in the United States. How about that? Yeah. By the way, else? did you say mall husk? Did yeah. I hear you say that? It was that? a mall husk for a while. What is a mall husk? 
Um, well, I live in Los Angeles where we had a half-built Target for like six years and okay. we just called it Target Husk because <laughs> it was like the shell of the Target. Yeah. So that's just what I'm calling it. Okay. And, and so the news lead here is that this mall is coming out of its husk. They, they have yeah. found something of an informal benefactor in the form of a YouTube star. Yeah. So the other day on Sunday, Mr. Beast, who is one of the most popular YouTube stars of all time, I, I suppose, yeah. uh, opened a restaurant there. It's called Mr. Beast Burger. He started it as a ghost kitchen. He has over a thousand virtual locations. This is the first in-person location. And this mall that has had all these troubles and is basically a, a ghost town, 10,000 people packed into it. Some waited hours outside. They camped out. They drove yeah, just for the chance to like meet Mr. Beast and possibly get some money because one thing that he does is give away fabulous prizes. A lot of money. He gives away a lot. <laughs> yeah, like he'll give you 10 grand for, I don't know, like he, hide and seek. The day before I read, he, uh, I think at this mall, they did a hide and seek contest where the last 25 out of 100 people to be found got $10,000 each. Yeah. <laughs> that was the video. Yeah, I think I became aware of him because he did a real-life squid game, like, without yeah. the murdering right. people. Part. Right. It was, less, it was more boring because, because they left it yeah, out. Yeah, a little dystopian, perhaps. Yeah. A little missing the point of squid yeah. game. But, yeah, it, he packed the small. And um, wow. I was reading some accounts from people who were there because I was thinking, like, is this going to be good for the mall? Because there's a lot of reports that say if you want people to come to the mall— now, as everything is increasingly digital, you have to have a mall that's experiential. You have to have really good food. You have to have the kind of experiences that people can't have at home mm -hmm. to get them into the mall and then, you know, while they're there, into shops. And it, a lot of the accounts where people really wanted to meet Mr. Beast, like that was the number one reason they were yeah. there. And they were really hoping to get something out of that, whether that was a picture or a prize. Yeah. I guess my question is, if he's not there, and it's not a spectacle, will that still draw people right. there? Is it right. just like an ephemeral kind of publicity stunt? Right. The next day, who's there, right? Yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> I want to know how this performs over the course of the next week. Because a lot of the stores were closed and people yeah. weren't eating at the other establishments because they wanted the Mr. Beast Burger. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just thinking that's probably the most people that have ever been in that mall. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think? I think if they do more things like this, it might actually help because the theme parks are like $90 a day to go to. Yeah. And I just don't see families spending that kind of money right now at a mall in New Jersey. I mean, mm, you'd be surprised. <laughs> it's close to New York. Maybe it's a day yeah. trip. But I feel like for the average yeah. consumer, going and having a meal together and then popping in a few stores and not spending, you know, if you have two kids, it's $180 yeah. plus your tickets. Yeah, I feel like maybe that's what they, they need to think smaller. Like this entire time, the American dream is like, this needs to be the biggest, coolest, most elaborate thing possible. But right. maybe they just need burgers and a YouTube star. <laughs> right. How many of those are there, though? YouTube stars with burger restaurants and uh, 100 million yeah. subscribers. Apparently um, a lot. I just found out that Tyga has a restaurant called Tyga Bites. Wiz oh, very Khalifa nice. has a restaurant. Wiz Khalifa has a restaurant? Apparently. A ghost kitchen, yeah. yeah. It's all ghost kitchens, though. Yeah, they need yeah. to go in the mall, in the ghost mall. Yeah, they should open a mall with just food courts of uh, these celebrities' ghost kitchens. They should. I, I will say, like, malls, I'm impressed by malls these days. Like, yeah. malls are, like, pretty impressive feats of human engineering. Like, when I was a kid, you know, a stale hot dog and a Wetzel pretzel is all you could find in mm -hmm. a mall. And now it's like, you go there and there are, are fantastic restaurants. Malls are really pulling out all the stops to stay alive. Yes. And you got you to gotta love the, uh, you got to appreciate that. You do have to appreciate it, <laughs> except not enough people are most likely. <laughs> yeah.
All right. Well, the last thing we want to talk about here is a lot of you are probably staying in hotels this week, right? A lot of hotels. So one thing you've probably noticed in a hotel is these tiny bars of soap in the bathroom that they hand out. You get one every time you go to a hotel. They're actually the most popular hotel amenity, according to a Cornell study. They're used more than the TV, more than valet parking, more than anything else in a hotel. About 87% of guests use these little bars of soap. The problem is that most people don't use the whole bar of soap. You might use it, you know, through two or three times and leave it there and maybe feel guilty about it, or maybe you take it home with you. Well, 10 years ago, one guy had a question about hotel soaps. He said, what happens to these things after the guests leave? And he basically found out, this guy named Sean Seipler from Florida, he found out that hotels just round them up and throw them away. So he runs this back of the napkin math, and he figures out that there are about 5 million hotel rooms in the United States. Pre-pandemic, the average occupancy rate was right around 66%. So he calculates that hotels go through more than 3 million bars of these little soaps every day. And he thinks maybe he can invent some kind of second use case for them. So he starts going around to hotels, collects these soaps, and has these big bags of soap, takes them back to his garage, puts them into a meat grinder, and creates new bars of soap out of these little bars of soap with the goal of repurposing all these hotel soaps. He goes to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and asks for a grant. He thinks it might be a great idea to repurpose these soaps and send them abroad. Yeah. The number one cause of death in children under the age of five are hygiene-related illnesses. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a great idea, but the Bill and Melinda Gates says no. Uh, and they, say, on, they, they also say, please don't reapply for three years. Nice. <laughs> so he takes matters into his own hands and he comes up with a very interesting business model. The business model works like this. Hotels actually pay Sean Seipler 50 cents to a dollar per room per month to take their soaps off of their hands. To get rid of the soap. To get rid of okay, the soap. It, it costs yeah. them a lot of money to actually get rid of these things, sure. pay disposal fees. Yeah. Um, and up. instead, his organization just comes and collects these soaps at a very small cost, an incidental cost to the hotel. In turn, they also get impact report showing how many bars of soap they've contributed. And the how hotels many, do. How many bars of soap they've saved from landfills and whatnot. Win-win. So, cool idea. Today, I feel like when I tell this story, the number one question people have is how do they clean these things? Because it's kind of <laughs> yeah. it's kind of nasty to like take a soap that someone else has used and repurpose it. Yes, you could say that. They take these soaps, they collect them from hotels, they go to, into a refining machine that filters out, you know, dirt and other debris. It turns them into what he calls soup noodles. And then he takes these soup noodles, he puts them into a mixer with sterilized fluids of all different sorts. It gets pummeled into a powdery substance and then it gets cut into bars and shipped abroad. So today, this company is actually partnered with more than 8,000 hotels. Uh, Every Hilton in the U.S. partners with this organization called Clean the World. And to date, they've diverted 23 million pounds of soap. Oh, my God. Which is pretty cool. (laughs) Every single Hilton. (laughs) Yeah. So just like it's interesting how even behind this everyday object that you don't really give a second thought to. There's a second use case. That many people will be using later today, most right. likely. So, yeah, <laughs> so you know, chances are, if you're staying at the Westin here or maybe the Omni across the street, those soaps that are in your rooms actually partner with Clean the World, which is kind of cool. It's very cool. So th- those will get sent to Haiti and other countries and also increasingly in the United States because we had a soap shortage Such during a the win-win. pandemic. Yeah, it's a win-win. <laughs> it's good for the business and it's good for the hotels. Once they put all the soap together and then they make the new bars of soap, like what does that bar of soap look like? Oh, they're like tie-dye 
Because like they're taking soaps from like every hotel has a different color, a different scent. So what you get is this weird potpourri of smells and colors, and it, it's like a tie dye bar. Kind of looks like a hipster bar of hipster soap, soap that you would find in like Portland or something. <laughs> and it, and it's recycled, so you get that extra hipster flair, you know. But it's the kind of things that people pay a premium for at, at like an artisanal shop or something. But yeah. they, they smell and look a little weird, but they See, that was going to be my next question. It's like, what happens when you put all the smells together? Yeah. Interesting things. Like, <laughs> like you get, you definitely have a, a get a unique. And uh, you, you met with this guy, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. He's, uh, where did he think this was going to go when he started hauling around soap? Well, this guy was a, this guy was a tech executive. Okay. Um, and, you know, the reason he even came across this idea was that he spent five nights a week in hotels traveling. And initially he wanted to make this kind of a for-profit venture. He yeah. wanted to figure out a way to collect the soaps and just purely make money off of them, you know, resell them for $15 a bar <laughs> yeah. or whatever as a cool little gimmick. And as he learned more about the global needs and social use cases, he switched his model up a little bit. That's very nice. And has the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation approached never, him again? Never gotten back. They're, apparently they're hard to get into. I don't know uh, <laughs> if anyone... <laughs> If anyone has a lead, get all the Sean Seifler. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Just want to give a quick shout out to Darren Clark, our producer. He uh, is the man behind the scenes. He makes everything happen. Also, Rob Litters, who couldn't be here today. You probably heard his voice a lot on our show. He felt a little under the weather today, but he really wanted to be here. So yeah. all our love goes to Rob. Yeah, he's helping write the email for tomorrow. So you can thank him for that. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for, for coming to see us in person. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank yeah. you.